Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Now, I'm here today with uh, Dr. Ashley Randall. Um, she's a PhD in Family Studies and Human Development and Associate Professor in Counseling and Counseling Psychology. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. My gosh, thank you so much for the invitation. It's quite an honor. Um, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am presently an Associate Professor and Honors Faculty in Counseling and Counseling Psychology at Arizona State University in the U.S., where it is a frigid, probably 60 degrees Fahrenheit here, um, if you sense my sarcasm. Um, I have had the wonderful fortune and opportunity to collaborate with students and colleagues around the world, and so really passionate about international educational exchange, as well as um, how couples cope with stress in the context of their relationship. And so delighted to be here to be able to share some of the tips and tricks, if you will, uh, and some of the findings from our research over the years. You're in the perfect place for that because we are a global podcast and we are, this episode in particular is all about relationship stress. So you're the perfect person to talk Excellent. to. Excellent. I'm, I'm so glad I made it to the right place. I did have to look up what 60 degrees Fahrenheit is um, in Celsius because that's what we use here. Um, and 15, 15 and a half degrees is frigid, I would say. I think anything under the under 20 can be quite cold. Well, um, well excellent. So Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I don't know that my uh, friends and colleagues from around the other parts of the U.S. would agree, but I appreciate the, the affirmation in that regard. It would probably be a balmy day in Chicago, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, now, we are going to chat again about relationship stress, like I said earlier, but before we kind of get into that, we have a segment called Have You Met Ashley Randall, uh, where we have to get to know you a little bit. Um, I'm going to throw some really quick questions at you and you don't have to think too hard on them. You just have to answer them. Sounds Ready. good. Ready? Yes, awesome. <laughs> What's your favorite book? So my favorite book that I read um, a couple of years ago was Thrive by Arianna Huffington. And it is an amazing, amazing read just in terms of how it is that we as individuals can redefine success and the ways in which societies you know, more globally can really think about taking care of the human capital. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A really yeah. great, a really great suggestion. Uh, what about your favorite movie? So my favorite movie, this is challenging because I love documentaries. Um, as I was chatting with you earlier before we started the recording, I know that reality television is not a movie, so I will um, ignore that sidebar for a second. Um, and I will say, I really just love Finding Nemo. Like that is probably one of like my favorite, like, little cartoon. Although Luca, sorry, I'm not answering your question. Um, Luca was also very good. Yes, because we have a cat Luca. So that's probably why I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. I haven't actually seen Luca yet. So that's my, so my dirty little secret, but Finding Nemo, a classic, absolutely amazing. This is not one of the questions I was going to ask you, but what are your favorite reality shows? Oh, well, see, now we would be here all afternoon if I were to answer that. However, <laughs> I would say combine relationships, combine, combine like the global nature of the world at 90 Day Fiance is a must. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. That's a classic. I've not, again, I like we said earlier, I don't watch reality TV shows, but I have seen a lot of clips from 90 Day Fiance. Um, I can definitely yeah. see the appeal <laughs> of it. Absolutely, yes. Um, what about a podcast that you're listening to at the moment and you're really into? Yeah, so I would say uh, some of the go-to podcasts, speaking of psychology, which is published by the American Psychological Association, um, is always really great in terms of up-to-date research. And then I would say for long road trips, just to um, keep myself awake, I'm usually really into the Dateline podcasts of the murder mystery stories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. True crime is great for a road trip. Yes. Um, definitely doesn't make you concerned about <laughs> anything that could happen to you at night at all. Um, what about a famous role model that you look up to? 
You know, this is a, a question that um, I think there's a, so many ways in which I could probably answer this, but let me just answer with one of the, the people whom I've um, followed their life story more recently in the past couple of years, and I've just really um, admired their resilience and all of their accomplishments, and that would be Serena Williams. I think the way in which that she um, has really developed into who she is and not only um, who she is as an athlete, but who she is as a human being. And as a member of, you know, her family is just remarkable. And, um, you know, her, her story is just, just amazing. So re yeah, really appreciate following her journey, her journey. You're actually not the first person on this podcast who's mentioned Serena Williams as their role model. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty cool, but she is an incredible yeah. woman and um, totally. a huge, huge role model for so many. I know myself as, as someone who's really into tennis, Serena Williams is one of my favorites as well. So yeah. Um, what about the last course you've completed? Now the last course that I have completed, so apart from my doctorate was probably, oh gosh, this is a very good question. Um, the last course that I completed actually was um, completed a series of workshops um, for academics for Black survival and wellness. And this came out um, around the COVID-19 and the racism pandemic that happened um, in the U.S. and likely across the globe. And so really appreciated the opportunity and all of the work that went into recognizing our historical systems of oppression and how it is that we can view ourselves as agents of change in the ever-moving society. So that was probably the last course that I completed. Mm -hmm. That's a really, really important one in light of like what we've been learning over the last few mm -hmm. years. About, it's definitely been a global movement. I mean, it's been huge here in Australia as well, and it's definitely like an ongoing one um, for sure. Um, yes. but oh, I was just gonna say, you mentioned the ongoing, which I could not agree with you more, right? Yeah. So, so this is something that, uh, although we may finish a class, um, it's a lifelong journey just in, in terms of uh, being multiculturally confident. So I appreciated the, the nudge in the positive direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, that brings us to the end of this segment. Um, Ashley Randall, you are known. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much um, for letting us get to know you a little bit. Now we might move on to the main part of our episode, which is about relationship stress. Um, it's particularly uh, all of the factors that go into relationship stress um, and what affects it. But before we kind of focus in on that, I wanted to kind of zoom out a little bit. What is a relationship? How do you define or describe a relationship? Yes. Yeah, so excellent question. So I would say, you know, we can, and oftentimes when, when people ask like, what's a relationship or how do we define relationships? I would say that for many of us, we either um, implicitly connect with our close friends, our romantic partner, or family members. And I would say underlying all of these, and this is certainly not necessarily just specific to work that we've done, but the relationship science field as a whole, is that we can consider maybe six core components of what defines a relationship. And if you think about anyone in your life, we have knowledge about this person, right? So we have understandings about their likes, their dislikes, um, maybe their goals that they have. So that would be one element. Um, in terms of knowledge. Additionally, we care for this individual. Right? I mean, certainly we care about their needs, we care about their well-being, and so we often want to reach out and understand how they're doing, which over time fosters trust, um, and we have commitment in terms of that relationship. And so there's two additional components that I would say that are also really important to think about, and that is the idea of mutuality or that we both have you know, mutual benefits and that we kind of fit together like a puzzle. Um, kind of there's this me versus we type thing. And so we really think about things as this we or joint perspective. And the last is interdependence. And what that means is that when we think about our close relationships is that our emotions and our behaviors are often coordinated with one another. So Unfortunately, when we, teaser alert, when we hear some couples say, you make me feel this way, there is some validity to that, although it's probably not a good way to, to start a discussion. Yeah, for sure. Um, a, a lot of phrasing I've learned has been so important in the way you approach um, your partner and honestly, in general, any kind of relationship um, that you have with anyone. Um, it's super, Absolutely. super important. Um, in your opinion, what does a relationship hold the same kind of meaning and importance that it did perhaps decades ago, specifically romantic relationships? 
Yeah, so this is another excellent question. And I'm going to actually um, default to research that has been done by Eli Finkel. And actually, he has uh, recently published a book called The All or Nothing Marriage. And in his volume, and as a social psychologist um, at Northwestern in the U.S., um, he really has taken a wonderful perspective of how it is that we can think historically about how our relationships have changed. So we started, and this is uh, from a Western perspective, really thinking about relationships as the idea, as, as he coins it, as workmates, right? So we've started relationships wherein these individuals can really help us to thrive in terms of our working environment. And so if you think, you know, predominantly in, in farming, we have to, you know, ensure that everything is done um, on the farm. And then we look towards the industrialization around the 1850s, and that's when things started to change. And so we went from kind of this workmates to more of a soulmate. So we, we really care about that our relationships are built on love and trust in some of those four areas that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then in his, his book, he really kind of then fast forwards to present day. And so if we go from in a historical perspective to understanding our relationships as workmates to now we want our relationships to not only be our soulmates, but our best friends or, and our best friends. And so it's really thinking about how it is that we can break down historical gender stereotypes to have a more egalitarian relationship um, wherein partners can really foster each other's sense of self and authenticity. Yeah, that's a fantastic, um, a fantastic point, especially the breaking down of gender stereotypes to actually make our, I guess, I idealized version of romantic relationship possible. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of what holds us back is um, those gender roles and our expectations of, you know, how to perform based on how we were born at birth. Um, yeah. And I would I, say even, even more to that, if I may, that, um, you know, I would also say a very important part, which, you know, we don't have to necessarily look too far back into history, but where it is about whom it is that we are including in terms of who who can form a relationship. And so certainly we have seen, um, you know, many, many countries and many cultures that have made uh, significant strides to being more inclusive in terms of who can hold a relationship, especially as it comes with the legal uh, rights. Um, and then many others that are still kind of facing you know, those disparities. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, how do you define relationship stress? Yeah, so this is a, an, another excellent question. So relationship stress. So let me kind of break this down, if you will, um, in terms of how can, how can we think about stress in the context? And this is work that I've done with my colleague, um, Guy Bodeman at the University of Zurich in Switzerland, and really thinking about when we ask people, are you stressed or what are you stressed about? Oftentimes, depending on cultural context, um, from a Western perspective, people will often give tasks, right, or lists of things that are stressing them out. And one could be my partner stressing me out. Yet if we really try to understand and think about this, it's really important to think about the origin of where that stress comes from. And so relationship stress, if you were taking it just at face validity in terms of how we're defining relationship stress, that would actually be considered stress that originates inside the relationship that would be maybe difficult habits of your partner. So hypothetically, right? Like, you know, whatever annoying partner, you know, annoying partner habits that you can think about, we can, we can replace those there. Um, yet these are the things that really annoy me or frustrate me about my partner. Or maybe you have differing relationship goals. Someone wants to get married, move in together, the other does not, et cetera. So the relationship stress really originates outside the relationship yet, and I'm, I know we're gonna get there, is that there are certainly stressors that we need to be mindful of that happen outside of a relationship that can actually exacerbate the stress that we're feeling within our relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we are definitely gonna talk a lot about, um, you know, how stress can happen both within and outside of relationship and jumble up into one big tangled mess. Um, <laughs> if that's the best way to describe it. Um, how, how does relationship stress affect relationships? Yes. I'll give you the quick answer negatively. Um, however, let me, let me explain that a little bit. So if we think about it, um, you know, one of the most interesting things I think is that people are not necessarily as aware of how much stress outside of our relationship can really impact our relationship and our perception of our partner. 
So for individuals who are, you know, working outside the home or students that are going to school or having additional, you know, jobs or whatnot, these are all things that unfortunately we, we have stress on a daily basis, maybe being, you know, confronting traffic, for example. Um, however, what will happen is that over time, these little stressors or daily hassles, like we like to consider them, can certainly build up. And what happens is that we then start to come home and we may be really aggravated. Um, we may be really frustrated or stressed out. Well, when we are already kind of experiencing those negative emotions, what happens? Well, our partner's annoying habits or these differing goals can really seem much more exacerbated because of this idea of stress spillover. So the external stressors outside of our relationship have really spilled over into our relationship, causing stress within our relationship. And then even more so is our stress can cross over to our partner. So maybe you come home and you've had a really bad day. Your partner may have just gotten a promotion or they've gotten a new job or, you know, they heard from a friend that they haven't heard from in a while. And they're really excited to tell you this news. Yet as they can potentially read the stress, you know, from you, that then dampens their positive affect as well. And so it can kind of cause this cascade of negative emotions if couples are not necessarily able to identify it and cope with it in the moment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, essentially overall, just very negatively. Um, and we need to, we need to learn how to manage it in order to make sure to at least reduce the amount of stress we're dealing with, but we'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, what we talked a little bit about, you know, daily stress and internal stress that might be affecting couples, but what does it actually look like? How does it manifest? Yeah. So this is an excellent question. So there are certainly a variety of, um, you know, theoretical models in terms of how stress can impact relationships. And, and please know that my perspective is coming uh, from one that is trained really systemically in terms of thinking about partners as that interdependent unit, right? So we can't necessarily separate one partner's experience from the other. So how it is, is that one partner's experiences of stress, as I mentioned, not only spills over into the relationship, or excuse me, rather, um, one partner's experiences of stress, the external stressors spill over into the relationship, okay? So that's causing these like internal stressors. In addition, that stress is crossing over to the partner. So now we have these elements of negative interactions. Over time, what will happen is that we often see decreases in terms of communication, right? Or we see an increase of potentially not effective communication. And so it's really important to think about that even though we think we are not communicating, maybe we're not necessarily expressing how stressed we are, we may be doing so non-verbally, right? So coming in, you know, sighing, um, you know, eye rolling, I don't want to talk about this, I need some time. These are all ways in which we are communicating to our partner about how it is that we are feeling. If, however, partners are not able to then utilize this moment to actually, you know, create and foster this sense of we-ness and mutuality that we can handle this together, then over time, it's when we see kind of the exacerbation of, you know, problematic personality traits, things that are annoying each other about the partner, the partner and then pe people actually start having mutual alienation, right? I don't want to talk to you. You're stressed again. Well, I'm not going to talk to you because you're not able to help me. And then unfortunately, over time, we see relationship dissolution. And what you said earlier about how, um, even though we're not communicating verbally, we're still communicating, we're still, um, telling our partner things just through our actions. That's such an important thing that we often forget about, um, all the time. What, what exactly this, I've got a really long question sitting in front of me and I'm trying to simplify it. Um, what exactly can people get stressed about? Is it, Daily stresses, we talked about that already, but are there perhaps issues where we compare ourselves to other relationships that might seem happier externally or, you know, just general commitment or fear of intimacy? Um, what, how, how are those involved in relationship stress? Yeah, so these, these are really like excellent questions. And I, and I would say that if we look across a relationship lifespan, 
um, and I and I will say this from kind of that relationship initiation phase of we're trying to, um, you know, maybe we've just met someone, we're trying to gauge whether or not they're interested in us, then we're kind of moving into that relationship development phase of trying to understand, okay, what are we doing? Are we dating? I'm sure that there's a million and one terms that I'm not familiar with um, <laughs> now that I'm in a, you know, a married relationship. So it's like thinking about then how do we move from this relationship development to really these relationship maintenance phases. And a lot of our work um, and the work that I do with my colleagues is focusing on these relationship maintenance behaviors. Yet to your point, certainly, right? Like there are certain stressors that will come up both individually as well as relationally at all different stages of the relationship. So um, a lot of, you know, colleagues uh, will look at differing um, individual differences. So how people approach relationships, the lenses to which they approach relationships, different, you know, compatibilities in terms of interests. And then it is that we're looking across the lifespan is that not only within the individual or with even in the couple, yet certainly we have to recognize the more, you know, societal stressors as well as macro level stressors, or we would consider them that are going on in addition to life events, you know, from, um, you know, potentially deciding to move in together to then, um, and that's really, you know, an element of commitment that uh, you had mentioned in terms of a potential stressor. Then, you know, taking the next phase in the relationship, whether it be, you know, formalizing that relationship and getting married or potentially having or adopting children or taking care of parents or siblings, et cetera. There's like ample opportunity to have stress in relationships. Yet, I don't want to sound all doom and gloom because there's also ample opportunity to then cope with those and create a stronger relationship with your partner. Yeah, absolutely. In that case, you know, we talked about how relationship stress isn't really just one person's relationship stress. It used to be, it's usually between um, uh, the various people in the relationship. But how do we know that our relationship is suffering from relationship stress? That feels like an obvious question, but I, I also think it can sneak up on us. No, absolutely. Of course it could. And I think that it's really, really important. And this is, a, you know, again, I, I want to certainly credit those that have done a lot of work in this area. So certainly like thinking about um, John Gottman's work and, and thinking about the importance of, you know, and certainly communication scholars of the importance of talking and having actual conversations. And I think it's very different than having conversations that are like, hey, how was your day? Oh, it was good. Okay, great, moving on. Yet really understanding at the core of what was so positive about that. You know, you had a great day. Like, what was, what was great about it? Oh, what does that mean for you? And conversely, you know, something negative or something stressful is going on. You know, what does that mean for you as well? Because although we can think about it, we all may experience stress from work, let's say. And at the onset, it's, oh, you're having a stressful day, yet we're not necessarily really understanding for that one individual what that may mean for them, because that could certainly mean different things. Yeah, and so I, I think just, oh, please, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, keep going. <laughs> no, 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 I, I was just going to say, you know, like being mindful of, you know, certainly, um, you know, hopefully our romantic partners and our partners will you know, have an understanding of who we are as individuals. And so oftentimes we can see changes in our partner's mood or affect or maybe interest level. And so I think these are all ways in which these are little, um, you know, dots, if you will, on a radar of, oh, this is something that's different, is, you know, in time to check in and is everything okay? Yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, how, how, uh, how do you, how are you able to tell these things if you're not keeping up healthy practices like communication with your partner or engaging in mindfulness? Like, is there a way to know? Is it perhaps inherent? I don't know if it's inherent or it's just those, like, you know, for many of us that study relationships and then those that love relationships, I think we could talk about relationships all the time. Um, you know, good thing you're not having my partner on this podcast because she would likely say something different in terms of how fun it is to always talk about relationships. Um, yet I do think it's just really important to care and nurture the relationships that you have with people. And, and certainly we have to recognize that not everyone has come from backgrounds or cultures wherein having these deep disclosures of let's sit down and, you know, let's have a cup of coffee or a tea or a glass of wine and, and chat about our day. Yet it's trying to understand and meet your partner where they are. 
So it's really understanding how much disclosure is comfortable for that individual and even more so, what are the questions that you can ask that can help facilitate that discussion? And I think also trusting yourself as well. If things seem not okay, then you then trust yourself to, to know that and to use that as a barometer, um, you know, for, for your relationship. Mm-hmm. What what's what's the earliest point you can know? Um, what what's kind of an early sign perhaps that there's some kind of relationship stress ongoing at the moment. Is that even possible? That's a very good question. Mm. I would say that there's not necessarily a point where there's not necessarily an element of stress. Yet I think, so let, let me try to answer your question yet rephrase it a little bit differently is that it's really important that one builds a really strong foundation of trust and commitment with one's partner. And so I think that it's, it's not the time when, you know, oh my gosh, we're having these stressful, you know, things are stressful. We're having these disagreements all the time. This isn't working. Let's start working on our relationship. Well, what happens, right, is that if you think about it, all of us interact on a second by second basis. And so I'm not going to by any means do the math for you now, but this is like a good exercise for those of you that have calculators. Um, You know, thinking about the average couple will seek treatment, whether it be, you know, like a relationship, you know, participating in a relationship education program or seeking therapy seven years into their relationship. So now going back to that second by second, imagine how many seconds of interaction there are in seven years of a relationship. And then at year seven or even earlier, a couple comes and they're like, we want to undo this pattern that we've gotten ourselves into. It takes work, right? And all relationships take work. And so I think it's really important that if you start to do the work early, then it's not necessarily so daunting when, when the you know times get tough, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've always said, you know, all relationships take work. It's finding the person that you want to do the work with. Mm-hmm. Seven years is a really, really long time. Why do you think it takes so long? You know, I mean, I, I think in, in some ways, you know, that's a, one excellent question. And I think that in some ways what happens is that people have likely from the media and maybe from, from stories or, you know, um, different perspectives in terms of how relationships quote, should be or should look or, once you get into a relationship, you have to make it work no matter, you know, the circumstances. And I think that that certainly has detriments, um, you know, when we're talking about negative uh, relationship behaviors. Yet in some respects, and I think this is likely different across cultures, yet there's almost a sense of, of you know, we have committed to this relationship. We know who each other are, or yet we can change that person and we can change together. And so we know that there's like, you know, there's certainly, you know, some element of like, certainly we grow and develop, um, yet we aren't going to become different people overnight. And so I think that in that time, there's kind of this hope and, and long exaggeration of we can make it through this, or this isn't a big deal, or even more so, let me ignore some of these concerns. And it just happened once and it's likely not going to happen again. And unfortunately, we know that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So oftentimes couples will get into these cycles. And I think it's a, a time when it, wherein not only is that relationship stress really high, but likely there's other stressors as well. And so it becomes kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've reached my max. And so what do I need to do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, sometimes you have to find the right person to manage the relationship stress with. How do you know that it's the right person? And at one at what point do you kind of decide that the relationship stress you're trying to overcome might not be worthwhile? So, so that the stress is not worthwhile or that the relationship is the not relationship worthwhile. is not worthwhile. Oh gosh, that is such a loaded question that I'm afraid. Yeah. I think, you know, it, I think it's really important to recognize um, that individuals complement or not should, but individuals complement each other in relationships. And I think that if in the event partners come up to like a threshold wherein 
there is more negative interactions than there are positive interactions and or um, there's the inability or the unavailability, if you will, of the partner to even engage in some of these conversations. It's not that the relationship is over yet. It's a really important time to really reflect, to say, what, how am I like, what, what am I getting out of this relationship? Um, and alternatively, like, what am I giving in this relationship? And there's certainly, you know, Gottman's five to one ratio of five positives to one negative. And alternatively, some other like, uh, you know, theoretical models looking at the cost and benefit analysis in terms of we should certainly have more benefits and, and feelings of positivity than we should cost. And so I think when, when, when we start to, to look at that or we start to have, even from an individual perspective, lose a sense of who we are as an individual and only identify with ourselves in that relationship, it's an important part to think about, you know, how it is that this relationship is really you know, allowing us to self-actualize together. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I know that was quite a loaded question, but I think I think you handled it pretty well. Because um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you do have to just ask yourself um, whether this relationship is something that is, you know, something that you want to continue with or whether it's perhaps, whether you, both of you might be better off with other people. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't think, well, the media certainly doesn't teach us to ask ourselves that question enough. Not um, at all. And I will say, right, I mean, like certainly, you know, the advent of technology and online dating, et cetera, it's, I mean, it's challenging, right, to even say, okay, I'm going to put my, my all into this relationship when alternatively, potentially, if you're online, oh, I have like 15 other people potentially waiting. So why would I, you know, give into this when there's other alternatives? And so... Certainly, I think it's it's really just having introspection in terms of kind of what are your non-negotiables and what are the things that are really important for you and whether or not, um, you know, that person or, or people that you are searching for can really complement that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have a recommendation of a practice or a habit to manage relationship stress? Yes, I do. Thank you so much for asking. Um, and so I'm happy to uh, kind of go into this, if you will, um, if you are ready. I'm, I'm so ready. Okay, excellent. So um, as we were talking about the importance of communication, one of the things is being very intentional with one's communication. Now, as I mentioned, so some of the research suggests that upwards of 93% of our communication is nonverbal. So when we have partners, like I mentioned, that maybe are sitting, you know, reading, you know, looking at their phone, reading a book, looking outside, not paying attention, rolling their eyes, crossing their arms, you know, the kind of this closed off body language, they're communicating something. So I often say, remember that one cannot not communicate. So first, it is very, very important that couples learn how to verbally communicate their stress to one another. And these are all elements that are part of um, work that I have done uh, with my colleague E. Bodeman and currently Casey Totenhagen, looking at relationship education programs and teaching couples it's this idea of dyadic coping. So we're coping together with the stress. So once you kind of get in a rhythm in terms of how it is that you want to communicate your stress to your partner, which could really seem, you know, inauthentic if you're not used to verbally saying, I'm stressed, right? Now, it's really important that beyond that initial level, like I talked about, is that we really kind of dig deep down. And this is um, part of the, the funnel method, if you will, of um, some of these programs is really thinking about what is the personal meaning for you? So let me give you a tangible example from a relationship education program that we're working on. So you and your partner are in an airport, okay? and there's a long line. Um, you can't wait to get on your you know, first, hopefully, uh, COVID-free vacation. And people, you know, you're potentially late for your, your flight or late for boarding, and people jump in front of you. And not only do they jump in front of you, there's other people that start to jump in line. Certainly this would be stressful for anyone, yet it's reflecting what about this situation is stressful. Okay? And it's not necessarily something that can be answered in an immediate thought, yet over time, when we because we usually give partners about 
30 minutes to disclose this to their partner, what we see is that we move from a very superficial level of this person cut in front of me to more of like the, the thoughts behind why well, I'm really frustrated. I'm like, I can't even believe that they would cut me off. I'm not able to do this to maybe some of the core emotions of it really bothers me when I feel overlooked. And when I feel overlooked, I feel like I'm not important. Okay. So it's allowing one partner to really that open space to verbalize that while maybe the non-stress partner or rather the listening partner is really there to then receive what's going on for the partner. Not interjecting with, well, have you tried this? Why are you upset? What does this matter? Like, let's get over it, but rather taking a more listening role. And then I think in that regard, what it allows is to really build that um, feeling of connection between partners so that they can then start to have that trust um, over time. And so I think that just even, you know, developing space for that in the day um, can be really important for partners, whatever time of day that works for them, certainly. Yeah. So is it usually that there's one listening partner and one partner who is expressing themselves? Is that across the whole 30 minutes or do they swap at some point? Yeah, excellent question. So in the 30 minutes when we're teaching them these skills, we usually have the one partner who is describing their stress for the 20 minutes. And, and certainly it's not just a 20 minute, um, you know, information dump, so to speak, but rather it's, you know, talking and then having the listening partner reflect, oh, I hear that you're saying this, right? Not necessarily asking questions that are ancillary to whatever the stress is, but, oh, I heard that someone cut you off. Like, you know, I heard that you're frustrated about this. Like, you know, tell me more of, about what happened. And then, you know, the, the partners kind of talk in this rhythm, you know, for about, you know, 20 minutes. And then after the next phase of this training is really allowing that listening partner to then reflect about how it is that they would offer support and affirmations to their partner. And so it's, I heard that, you know, someone cut you off at the airport and if they were together, certainly, you know, it would be a different um, reflection. Yet, I know that this is really stressful for you because, you know, it, you really care to be acknowledged. And when you're not acknowledged, you feel this way. And please know that I acknowledge you and I acknowledge all of the things that you do in a positive manner. So it's, it's providing more of kind of this emotion, what we consider emotion focused coping. So not only empathy, yet also building kind of this positive regard. Absolutely. And then, and then after that, you know, there's, we uh, provide space for the partner to say, that was really helpful for me. Like, I appreciate you, you know, providing that empathy and, and empathizing and, and sharing emotionally with me. Yet it would have been helpful. It would be helpful for me in the future if maybe you could do X, Y, and Z. Because oftentimes what happens is when we're stressed, we assume incorrectly what we think the other person needs. And so right. it's really important to allow people to just talk, reflect, and then respond emotionally and have the other person say what they need. Yeah, for sure. So for the person who is speaking, how do they get started? Is it based on a question prompt or do they perhaps begin by asking themselves um, questions that they can then verbalize to their partner? So this is an excellent question. So certainly in the, in the more formalized relationship education program, there's a formal start and end point. Um, however, I will say that like myself and, and others that I know that engage in these practices, they kind of make it um, not necessarily a ritual, but they at least allow time for it in their day. So maybe for some couples, like I mentioned, it's, hey, you know, let's take 15 minutes in the morning or however long that we have in the morning to engage. Or maybe we have a break during the day that we can just chat about each other's day. Alternatively, at night or in the evening. Yet it's just, it's incredibly important that when partners are feeling, you know, these negative emotions from, from a variety of contexts, like outside the relationship, that they then think about their partner as their greatest source of support to be able to then cope with their partner and really have the partner cope with them so that they don't feel as though that it's just them kind of out in the world, but that they have a, a double set of armor as I like to think about it. Right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what are three good things about this practice? 
three good things about this practice. So one, um, it is empirically supported. So for those of you that are uh, maybe out there like, oh, okay, I don't know about this. Let me, let me tell you, it's empirically supported by um, many years of science. Um, in addition, um, some of the research has actually shown that not only from cross-sectional studies, so studies that um, are taken at one moment in time, but certainly longitudinal, um, upwards of over a two-year period, that that has not only the this practice in particular in engaging in the sciatic coping not only decreases symptoms of stress or distress within oneself, but certainly increases relationship quality and longevity over time. Mm, mm, mm. What what are kind of the challenges that people might come across when they're trying this? You know, I think it's it's really challenging when we as individuals or as societies and um, whatnot is that we think that we are communicating effectively. And we think that what we are saying is being heard in the way that we intend it to say. And so I will say that that portion of when the listening partner actually reflects to the partner of this is what I heard you say, that is really a really important time for partners to say, no, that's not what I meant. What I meant was this, to clarify some of those instances. And it's really important as one is describing their stressors to use I statements, because oftentimes we can easily get into blaming um, of you statements and you made me feel this way and you did this in comparison to, right, I feel upset when you don't take the time to listen to me because it makes me feel that I don't matter or whatnot. So I think that those are some of the challenges. Yeah, I think I think that's important to point out because as much as we need to communicate more, we're not necessarily perfect communicators. Um, I don't think any human being is born a perfect communicator. So it's no, no. important I, to I make. Yeah, it's important to make sure that um, we <laughs> we we communicate exactly what we mean and make sure that they understand exactly what we mean. Um, how often do you recommend couples engage in this practice? I would say as often as, as needed, truthfully. Um, and I will say that, you know, likely when people start to, to think about, let's sit down and let's practice these ideas, it may seem a little awkward, right? Like, oh, we haven't done this before yet. Over time, it becomes a natural conversation. Um, between partners. And so I think it's it's really important to even make that time to recognize, you know, what are the, the biggest stressors that are going on for you at work? Who's your closest, um, you know, friend right now? And, and why are they friends? And asking kind of really some of these deep and meaningful questions um, that really allow one's relationship to continue to flourish. Absolutely. And when you say, you know, when you find the need for it, is it generally when, you know, you recognize that some stress has occurred or is affecting you? Or would it be perhaps, would it be perhaps even on days where you don't feel like there's something going on, but it might be helpful to engage in it anyway? Yeah, so absolutely. So I would say, I mean, any and all times, right? The, that I think having these conversations and creating this open dialogue, um, you know, with partners. And, and I recognize that, you know, many are in, you know, long distance relationships or potentially in different time zones. And so it's important to be mindful of that. Um, however, having deep and meaningful conversations with one's partner as often as possible really allows this to like to foster the relationship. So that way, when the stress does happen, it's not like, okay, wait, let's stop, let's sit, let's practice our talking while we're really stressed out, um, yet it becomes a more routine engagement with one's partner. Right, right. How, uh, how do you think this practice will impact um, your relationship or your perception of life? I think it's, um, you know, one of the, I think one of the greatest gifts that, that we have um, as human beings is, um, not only the ability to, to have like the sense of belonging um, with wanting to connect with others, yet I think for, for many of us that have the ability to do so is that like the engaging in 
you know, really empathy and empathic learning and, and empath, you know, and, and trying to be as empathetic as we can to each other's situations, stressors, um, as well as life experiences. And I think that the more that we can listen and reflect um, versus verbalizing and thinking about what it is that we need, I think it really just provides an open opportunity for people to have and create a deeper connection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And based on your experience, um, oh, first, would you recommend this practice to absolutely everyone? Or are there yes. perhaps groups of people that might not respond as well to it? No, no, no. So, it, so one of the things to keep in mind is that our research um, is being done, like currently we are um, conducting our study with sexual minority and gender diverse couples. And so a lot of the other research um, has often included these individuals yet with smaller samples. And uh, so individuals who identify as different gender or heterosexual. So um, that's who the research is uh, included in that regard. Um, But yes, everyone should be talking about relationships all the time. Um, Everyone should care about relationships. Um, No, in all honesty, I do think it's really important um, as we look at kind of what's a potential unifying factor globally, it's our relationships and the connections that we create with others. Mm-hmm. And I guess the final part of the segment is based on your experience, would you com- combine this with any other form of practice or that could perhaps improve upon it? I mean, you mentioned that this is the final method is kind of part of a three phase method. Um, mm-hmm. So what, what does that look like? Yeah, so the three faith method is actually like what I had mentioned in terms of the one partner is actually talking, the other partner is then the second phase is the other partner is giving feedback, and then the last phase is the the speaker partner is kind of giving feedback to the listening partner. Um, hopefully that made made sense without a, a visualization. Yep, certainly. I think there are many many crucial elements to understanding relationships and understanding each other. And so I think I, I do think that building a strong foundation on friendship and understanding who people are, um, in particular with understanding who they are as cultural beings. And so the identities that everyone holds and the different viewpoints um, and how people's different identities may shape their experiences. And, and certainly we know that it's not uniform, right? So in one experience, these identities may be more salient compared to another. Um, you know, experience. And so that's something that's important. Uh, some of the other areas that we try to educate couples are, or couples on rather, um, is equity and fairness in the relationship and joint problem solving. So really trying to um, not explicitly do we do this in the program yet, I think implicitly, it's really trying to challenge, um, as I mentioned earlier in this segment of some of these traditional gender roles that, you know, are um, in, in my opinion, you know, largely outdated. So thinking about ways in which we can divvy up roles amongst, you know, one another in order to have um, equity in the relationship. Mm-hmm. That's and having great. fun. Yeah. I mean, always have fun. Try new things. I know it is so easy to get, and this is, I'm reflecting on um, Terry Orbach or the love doctor, as we call her, uh, and a uh, very dear friend and colleague. And so she has an amazing TED talk and, and thinking about, you know, how do we spice up relationships and do something different? We all know that it's so easy to say, oh, what three restaurants should we go to, right? Because we all have our go-tos. <laughs> and then it's like, let's try something else. Let's try something different. Let's go to a, you know, a new cultural festival and experience this together. And so it's really building those unique opportunities for shared memories. Yeah. Or go on vacation and hopefully not get cut um, in the queue. Yes, yes, do that Do that too, yes. And then be prepared to hopefully not get cut in the queue. And if you do, oh my gosh, how great, because now you know how to cope with that stress. <laughs> Absolutely, exactly. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of our um, experiment debrief. Um, now I've got a couple of questions uh, from the audience um, to throw at you. Um, are you happy to answer them? I'm happy to answer them. Fantastic. Um, first question. Has texting created um, an added layer of relationship stress or does it have an overall positive impact on communication with your partner? Oh gosh, such a good question, such a loaded question. Because I will say, right, I'll, I'll give a graduate school answer, is it depends on what is being texted. 
So um, I think that um, it's really easy and there's a lot of um, amazing communication scholars that study this so much more in depth than, than um, you know, my, my awareness. Yet it's thinking about maybe we're sending an emoji or we're sending some text that we think has some type of meaning, um, yet it likely could be received differently on the other end. And so in those instances, I think um, always a phone call if possible, um, if available, you know, is a really great way to communicate versus relying. I mean, certainly the advent of technology has um, helped globalize things uh, for those who are afforded the opportunities to have access yet. Um, certainly could complicate things as well. Mm, absolutely. And that kind of brings, uh, ties in really nicely to the next question is how do you deal with arguments and other stresses when you're in a long distance relationship? Ooh, mm. wow. Excellent question. Um, inevitably things will come up. Um, and that's whether it be long distance, whether it be, you know, you're, you're sharing a household or you're, you're living, um, you know, quite close to one another. And I would say, it's thinking about what is the argument really about? Um, and I often reflect on um, John Gottman's work who, who has said, you know, what, what's the number one thing that couples fight about? And it's nothing, okay? And certainly some theorists will, will say differently, yet it's really at the end of the day thinking about, and this is um, now reflective of Sue Johnson's work, yet it's thinking about you know, are our partners really there for us when we need them? And certainly in long distance relationships and not having, you know, the ability to, you know, to be physically close in proximity and, and touch and, and all the positive benefits that come from that physical affection. Um, yet it's really important to find a time and find a space to be able to discuss the things that are really most upsetting. Um, and maybe some of our insecurities that may come from past relationships or even the current relationship and kind of talking through some of that together. And just, I guess, ripping off, riffing off of that, um, we were talking so much about nonverbal communication, uh, but a lot of that is lost when you're not physically with your partner um, and in a long distance relationship. So I feel like you almost have to make up for it even more by communicating even more and being on top of that. Am I right in that assumption or? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. I'm certainly, you know, I do think it's really important to, um, you know, I mean, let's say there's a nine plus hour difference, right? So recognizing one partner is just starting their day while the other is kind of wrapping up their day, getting ready potentially, you know, to, to go out to dinner. And so it's recognizing too, that maybe the initial excitement, if, if you know, people were both together in the time, same time zone, it's very different. And I say that from personal experience of, you know, when I've been abroad and, and calling my partner at six o'clock in the morning, our time, you know, here in Arizona, and I'm getting ready to go out, you know, for an aperitivo in Italy, um, our energy levels are certainly a little bit different. So um, having to be mindful of that and not necessarily taking it too personally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, final, final question um, is, what do you do when the main point of your stress is external and also just ongoing and unavoidable? For example, like your parents disapproving of the relationship. How do you manage that? Oh, gosh. Um, thank you for the loaded question. Um, you know, I, th this is a very, very challenging question. And here is why. Because I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer to, to identify of, you know, doing step X, Y, and Z. Um, and this is, you know, being mindful of um, cultural or societal practices that are also important. So please know that I'm reflecting on this question from a very individualistic perspective of growing up in the U.S. Um, in response to that, um, you know, I think it's really, again, goes back to the idea of the communication practice of what are the contexts to which family members may be disapproving of the relationship. And so I think that depending on those different factors, those can lead to different conversations. So if it's, we don't like person, you know, A through C because they enjoy, you know, X hobby and that's not something that we do, that's very different than we don't approve of your relationship because of an identity that you hold, which I think is a very challenging and very um, hurtful to say the least experience. And so it's then figuring out what's best for you to navigate some of like you yourself, um, you know, to navigate some of those stressors and, and some of, you know, that work um, 
thinking and relying on friends that you know are sources of support um, to really help you kind of navigate through some of those waters. So there, there's no really easy answer. Um, yet I would say trusting yourself, um, trusting others, seeking support that can really help you navigate some of those experiences and, and not, um, not having it necessarily have so much of an impact um, on your own individual as well as your relational health. Yeah, that's a really difficult one, especially when it's a case of identity um, mm-hmm. or even culture where uh, that's not really something that you can easily have a conversation with your parents about and be like, hey, can you stop doing this because it's affecting my relationship? It's probably their goal, I think, at the end of the day is if they're disapproving of it. So it's a really difficult one, not really an easy one to explain. Um, but on that sour note, uh, <laughs> let's 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 bring this segment to an end. Um, and I want to move on to the open mic, uh, where I kind of let you have a bit of a TED talk about anything that you're passionate about. And it could be related to the topic, but it doesn't have to be. And earlier we talked about, um, you wanted to talk about the importance of publishing and elevated underrepresented, elevating underrepresented voices. Um, it's it's the, the, the floor is yours. Oh, well, so, so very kind. Yes. Um, you know, just a, a, a really quick plug, if I may. So, um, you know, as an associate professor, one of the greatest, if not the greatest joys of my job is to be able to work with talented students and talented colleagues um, all over the world. And, um, you know, recognizing powers and privileges in terms of how educational structures have been formed throughout the world. I think it's so incredibly important that we open our minds um, to really, what do we know? And, and really, what do we know about whom? And so this is a question that I've often, um, you know, have with, with colleagues, um, you know, and certainly in classes that I teach, just in terms of being mindful of when we're saying that research or we, we know things about X and we know things about Y, and this is how things work, it's really th- taking a step beyond that to say, well, for whom and under what context. And so that's why the field is ever expanding. Um, I'm very fortunate to be part of the International Association for Relationship Research. Shameless plug, please come to our conference, May of 2023 in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, And um, thinking about ways in which we can elevate and expand our scholarship. So whether that means using diverse methodology, thinking about Um, voices that are beyond white heterosexual college age students between the ages of 18 and 22 years old because we know we certainly know people that do not identify within those identities and so thinking about all the unanswered questions that there are in the world and and really taking an opportunity to um, elevate those voices that unfortunately have been traditionally marginalized so that is my my little plug in my little soapbox if you will Oh, that's amazing. Um, so, so important uh, to elevate those voices because I know relationships look, I've learned from personal experience and also from this podcast that relationships look so different um, depending on where in the world you are. So um, yeah, thank you again uh, for plugging that. What was uh, the International Association for Relationship Science? Is that what it was called or am I... Very close. So it is the International Association for Relationship Research. So this is actually um, a multidisciplinary organization that studies romantic relationships in all of its facets. Um, we have members all over the world. Um, we have an upcoming conference um, this coming uh, May 2023. You all are welcome um, in beautiful Arizona. Uh, the subsequent conference after that will be in Boston. And so it's a really great organization. It combines psychologists, sociologists, communication scholars, uh, family studies and human development scholars, or family scientists, um, amongst others uh, who are really interested in really elevating and um, showcasing the importance of relationships in our lives. Fantastic. And hopefully it'll be um, less chilly in Phoenix in May of 2023. Absolutely. Absolutely. That I I can guarantee. Uh, Fantastic. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been a pleasure. Um, I've had such a great time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you for the very, um, some, some very easy and some very difficult questions. I appreciate that. It's always good to have a mix of both. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. 
You've been listening to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.